37. Rarely pure. The chief impurities present in it being chlorine, hydrobromic acid, and bromoform adherman, and Helen. 1855, 95, page 211, E. Jesner 1876-9, page 15-07 removes chlorine by repeated shaking with water, followed by distillation over sulfuric acid, hydrobromic acid is removed by distillation with pure manganese dioxide, or mercuric oxide, and the product dried over sulfuric acid, J.S. Stas, in his stoichiometric researches, prepared chemically pure bromine from potassium bromide, by converting it into the bromate which was purified by repeated crystallization. By heating the bromate it was partially converted into the bromide, and the resulting mixture was distilled with sulfuric acid. The distillate was further purified by digestion with milk of lime, precipitation with water, and further digestion with calcium bromide and barium oxide, and was finally redistilled. Characters Bromine at ordinary temperatures is a mobile liquid of fine red color, which appears almost black in thick layers. It boils at 59 degrees C. According to Sir W. Ramsay and S. Young, bromine, when dried over sulfuric acid, boils at 57.65 degrees C and when dried over phosphorus pentoxide, boils at 58.85 degrees C under a pressure of 755.8 millimeters forming a deep red vapor which exerts an irritating and directly poisonous action on the respiratory organs. It solidifies at 21 degrees C quaint to a dark brown solid. Its specific gravity is 3.188 degrees latent heat of fusion 16.185 calories. Latent heat of vaporization 45.6 calories. Specific heat 0.1071. The specific heat of bromine vapor. That constant pressure is 0.05504 and at constant volume is 0.04251 k strecker. Bromine is soluble in water, to the extent of 3.226 grams of bromine per 100 grams of solution at 15 degrees C the solubility being slightly increased by the presence of potassium bromide. The solution is of an orange-red color, and is quite permanent in the dark, but on exposure to a light, gradually becomes colorless allowing to decomposition into hydrobromic acid and oxygen. By cooling the aqueous solution, hyacinth red octahedra of a crystalline hydrate of composition Br.4H2O or Br2.8H2O are obtained by quasriosbum. Zites. Ph.S. Chem. 1888. 2. Page 449. Bromine is readily soluble in chloroform, alcohol and ether. Its chemical properties are in general intermediate between those of chlorine and iodine. Thus it requires the presence of a catalytic agent, or a fairly high temperature, to bring about its union with hydrogen. It does not combine directly with oxygen, nitrogen or carbon, with the other elements it unites to form bromides. Often with explosive violence, phosphorus detonates in liquid bromine and inflames in the vapor. Iron is occasionally used to absorb bromine vapor. Potassium reacts energetically, but sodium requires to be heated to 200 degrees C. The chief use of bromine in analytical chemistry is based upon the oxidizing action of bromine water. Bromine and bromine water both bleach organic coloring matters. V.04P.0633 The use of bromine in the extraction of gold QV was proposed by R. Wagner Dindler's journal. 218. Page 253 and others. But its cost has restricted its general application. 
Bromine is used extensively in organic chemistry as a substituting and oxidizing agent and also for the preparation of addition compounds. Reactions in which it is used in the liquid form, in vapor, in solution, and in the presence of the so-called bromine carriers, have been studied. Sunlight affects the action of bromine vapor on organic compounds in various ways, sometimes retarding or accelerating the reaction, while in some cases the products are different. J. Shram, Monapshafta for Chemi, 1887, 8, page 101. Some reactions, which are only possible by the aid of massive bromine, are carried out by using solutions of sodium bromide and bromate. With the amount of sulfuric acid calculated according to the equation 5 neighbor neighbor 36H2SO46 Nozzle43H206BR, German patent, 26642. The diluents in which bromine is employed are usually ether, chloroform, acetic acid, hydrochloric acid, carbon bisulfide and water, and, less commonly, alcohol, potassium bromide and hydrobromic acid. The excess of bromine being removed by heating, by sulfurous acid or by shaking with mercury. The choice of solvent is important, for the velocity of the reaction and the nature of the product may vary according to the solvent used. Thus Abier and Fblom found that on bromine adding orthocytonidoacetophenone in presence of water or acetic acid, the bromine goes into the benzene nucleus, whilst in chloroform or sulfuric acid or by use of bromine vapor it goes into the side chain as well. The action of bromine is sometimes accelerated by the use of compounds which behave catalytically, the more important of these substances being iodine, iron, ferric chloride, ferric bromide, aluminium bromide and phosphorus. For oxidizing purposes bromine is generally employed in aqueous and in alkaline solutions, one of its most important applications being by Emile Fischer Berchte, 1889, Page 362 in his researches on the sugars, the atomic weight of bromine has been determined by J.S. Stas and C. Marignac from the analysis of potassium bromide, and of silver bromide, G.P. Baxterzite, and org, chem, 1906, 50, page 389 determined the ratios of, agbur, and agl, agbr, hydrobromic acid, this acid, HPR, the only compound of hydrogen and bromine is in many respects similar to hydrochloric acid, but is rather less stable. It may be prepared by passing hydrogen gas and bromine vapor through a tube containing a heated platinum spiral. It cannot be prepared with any degree of purity by the action of concentrated sulfuric acid on bromides, since secondary reactions take place, leading to the liberation of free bromine and formation of sulfur dioxide. The usual method employed for the preparation of the gas consists in dropping bromine onto a mixture of amorphous phosphorus and water. When a violent reaction takes place and the gas is rapidly liberated, it can be obtained also, although in a somewhat impure condition, by the direct action of bromine on various saturated hydrocarbons e.g. paraffin wax, while an aqueous solution may be obtained by passing sulfuretted hydrogen through bromine water. Alexander Scott Journal of Chem. Suck. 1977, page 648 prepares pure hydrobromic acid by covering bromine, which is contained in a large flask, with a layer of water, and passing sulfur dioxide into the water above the surface of the bromine, until the whole is of a pale yellow color, the resulting solution is then distilled in a slow current of air and finally purified by distillation over barium bromide, 
At ordinary temperatures hydrobromic acid is a colorless gas which fumes strongly in moist air, and has an acid taste and reaction. It can be condensed to a liquid, which boils at 64.9 degrees C under a pressure of 738.2 millimeters and, by still further cooling, gives colorless crystals which melt at 88.5 degrees C. It is readily soluble in water, forming the aqueous acid, which when saturated at 0 degrees C has a specific gravity of 1.78. When boiled, the aqueous acid loses either acid or water until a solution of constant boiling point is obtained, containing 48 of the acid and boiling at 126 degrees C under atmospheric pressure, should the pressure, however, vary. The strength of the solution boiling at a constant temperature varies also. Hydrobromic acid is one of the strong acids, being ionized to a very large extent even in concentrated solution, as shown by the molecular conductivity increasing by only a small amount over a wide range of dilution. Bromides. Hydrobromic acid reacts with metallic oxides, hydroxides and carbonates to form bromides, which can in many cases be obtained also by the direct union of the metals with bromine, as a class. The metallic bromides are solids at ordinary temperatures, which fuse readily and volatilize on heating. The majority are soluble in water, the chief exceptions being silver bromide, mercury's bromide, polydyrus bromide and league bromide, the last island however, soluble in hot water. They are decomposed by chlorine, with liberation of bromine and formation of metallic chlorides, concentrated sulfuric acid also decomposes them with formation of a metallic sulfate and liberation of bromine and sulfur dioxide. The non-metallic bromides are usually liquids, which are readily decomposed by water. Hydrobromic acid and its salts can be readily detected by the addition of chlorine water to their aqueous solutions. When bromine is liberated, or by warming with concentrated sulfuric acid and manganese dioxide, the same result being obtained. Silver nitrate in the presence of nitric acid gives with bromides a pale yellow precipitate of silver bromide, a bird, which is sparingly soluble in ammonia. For their quantitative determination they are precipitated in nitric acid solution by means of silver nitrate, and the silver bromide well washed, dried and weighed. No oxides of bromine have as yet been isolated, but three oxy acids are known, namely hypobronis acid, bro, bronis acid, bro2 and bromic acid, bro-3. Hypobronis acid is obtained by shaking together bromine water and precipitated mercuric oxide, followed by distillation of the dilute solution in vacuo at low temperature about 40 degrees C. It is a very unstable compound, breaking up, on heating, into bromine and oxygen. The aqueous solution is light yellow in color, and possesses strong bleaching properties. Bromine acid is formed by adding bromine to a saturated solution of silver nitrate A.H. Richards, J. Sock Chem, in 1906, 25, page 4. Bromic acid is obtained by the addition of the calculated amount of sulfuric acid previously diluted with water to the barium salt, by the action of bromine on the silver salt, in the presence of water, 5 Agbro 33 Br 23 h 5 Agbro 6 Bro 3 or by passing chlorine through a solution of bromine in water. The acid is only known in the form of its aqueous solution, this island however, very unstable, decomposing on being heated to a 100 degrees C into a water, oxygen and bromine, by reducing agents such, for example, as sulfuretted hydrogen and sulfur dioxide, it is rapidly converted into hydrobromic acid, 
Hydrobromic acid decomposes it according to the equation Bro35HPR3H203Br2. Its salts are known as bromates, and are as a general rule difficultly soluble in water, and decomposed by heat. With evolution of oxygen, applications, the salts of bromine are widely used in photography, especially bromide of silver. For antiseptic purposes it has been prepared as bromum solidificatum which consists of beer or similar substance impregnated with about 75 of its weight of bromine. In medicine it is largely employed in the form of bromides of potassium, sodium and ammonium, as well as in combination with alkaloids and other substances. Medicinal use. Bromide of potassium is the safest and most generally applicable sedative of the nervous system, whilst very weak. Its action is perfectly balanced throughout all nervous tissue. So much so that Sir Thomas Lauder Brunton has suggested its action to be due to its replacement of sodium chloride common salt in the fluids of the nervous system. Hence bromide of potassium or bromide of sodium, which is possibly somewhat safer still though not quite so certain in its action is used as a hypnotic, as the standard and aphrodisiac, as a sedative in mania and all forms of morbid mental excitement, and in hyperesthesia of all kinds, its most striking success is in epilepsy for which it is the specific remedy. It may be given in doses of from 10 to 50 grains or more, and may be continued without ill effect for long periods in grave cases of epilepsy grand mal. Of the three bromides in common use the potassium salt is the most rapid and certain in its action, but may depress the heart in morbid states of that organ. In such cases the sodium salt of which the base is inert may be employed. In whooping cough, when a sedative is required but a stimulant is also indicated, Ammonium bromide is often invaluable. The conditions in which bromides are most frequently used are insomnia, epilepsy, whooping cough, delirium tremens, asthma, migraine, laryngus mistridulis, the symptoms often attendant upon the climacteric in women, hysteria, neuralgia, certain nervous disorders of the heart, strychnine poisoning, nymphomania and spermatoria. Hydrobromic acid is often used to relieve or prevent the headache and singing in the ears that may follow the administration of quinine and of salicylic acid or salicylates. Bromley, Sir Thomas 1530-1587, English Lord Chancellor, was born in Staffordshire in 1530. He was educated at Oxford University and called to the bar at the Middle Temple, through family influence as well as the patronage of Sir Nicholas Bacon, the Lord Keeper. He quickly made progress in his profession. In 1566 he was appointed Recorder of London, and in 1569 he became Solicitor General. He sat in Parliament successively for Bridge North, Wigan and Guildford. On the death of Sir Nicholas Bacon in 1579 he was appointed Lord Chancellor. As an equity judge he showed great and profound knowledge, and his judgment in Shelley's case QB is a landmark in the history of English real property law. He presided over the commission which tried Mary, Queen of Scots, in 1586, but the strain of the trial, coupled with the responsibility which her execution involved upon him, proved too much for his strength, and he died on the 12th of April 1587. He was buried in Westminster Abbey, Cephas, Lives of the Judges, Campbell, Lives of the Lord Chancellors, Bromley, a municipal borough in the Seven Oaks Parliamentary Division of Count, England. 101 2 meters SE by S of London by the South Eastern and Chatham Railway. Pop. 1901 27.354. It lies on high ground north of the small river Ravensbourne, in a well-wooded district, and has become a favorite residential locality for those whose business lies in London.
The former palace of the bishops of Rochester was erected in 1777 in room B.04 P.0634 of an older structure. The manor belonged to the sea as early as the reign of Ethelbert. In the gardens is a calibiate spring known as Street Blood Ice Well, which was in high repute before the Reformation. The Church of St. Peter and St. Paul, mainly perpendicular, retains a Norman font and other remains of an earlier building. Here is the gravestone of the wife of Dr. Johnson, Bromley College, founded by Bishop Warner in 1666 for 20 poor widows of loyal and orthodox clergymen, has been much enlarged, and 40 widows are in receipt of support. Shepard College 1840 is an affiliated foundation for unmarried daughters of these widows. In the vicinity of Bromley, Dickley is a similar residential township. Hayes Common is a favorite place of excursion, and at Holwood Hill near Keston are remains of a large encampment known as Caesar's Camp. Bromley was incorporated in 1903, and is governed by a mayor, six aldermen and 18 councillors. Area, 4703 acres. A member of the aragonite group of minerals, it consists of an isomorphous mixture of calcium and barium carbonates in various proportions, Ka, BACO3, and thus differs chemically from baritocalcite QV which is a double salt of these carbonates in equal molecular proportions, being isomorphous with aragonite, it crystallizes in the orthorhombic system, but simple crystals are not known, the crystals are invariably complex twins and had the form of doubly terminated pseudo-hexagonal pyramids, like those of witherite but more acute, the faces are horizontally striated and are divided down their center by a twin suture, as represented in the adjoining figure. The examination in polarized light of a transverse section shows that each compound crystal is built up of six differently orientated individuals arranged in twelve segments. The crystals are translucent and white, sometimes with a shade of pink. SP. GR. 3.706, hardness 441.2. The mineral has been found at only two localities, both of which are in the north of England, at the Fellowfield League Mine, near Hexham in Northumberland. It is associated with Witherite, and at Bromley Hill, near Alston in Cumberland. It occurs in veins with Galena. The species was named Bromlite by T. Thompson in 1837, and Alstonite by A. Brief out in 1841, both of which names derived from the locality, have been in common use. LJSBRLMPDON, a western district of London, England, in the southeast of the metropolitan borough of Kensington, Brompton Road, leading southwest from Knightsbridge, is continued as Old Brompton Road and Richmond Road, to join Lely Road, at which point are the district and West London railway stations of West Brompton, the Oratory of St. Philip Mary, commonly called Brompton Oratory closed by the Victoria and Albert Museum, the Brompton Consumption Hospital and the West London or Brompton Cemetery are included in this district, which is mainly occupied by residences of the better class. CKNSINGDON, a market town in the Eastern Parliamentary Division of Worcestershire, England, 12 metres and any of Worcester, with a station 1 metre from the town on the Bristol-Birmingham line of the Midland Railway. Pop. Of urban district 1901-84-18, it lies in a pleasant undulating district near the foot of the Lickey Hills, to surmount which the railway towards Birmingham here ascends for two meters one of the steepest gradients in England over such a distance. There remain several picturesque half-timbered houses, dating from 1572 and later. The Church of St. John is a fine building, perpendicular and earlier in date, picturesquely placed on an elevation above the town, with a lofty tower and spire. 
There are a well-known grammar school, founded by Edward VI, with university scholarships, a college school, a literary institute, and a school of art. Birmingham Sanatorium stands in the parish. Cloth was formerly a staple of trade, but manufactures of nails and buttons are now preeminent, while the River Salworthy works a number of mills in the neighborhood, and near the town are carriage works belonging to the Midland Railway. B-R-O-N-C-H-I-E-C-D-A-S-I-G-R, Greek, bronchia, bronchial tubes, and Greek, ectasis, extension, dilatation of the bronchi, a condition occurring in connection with many diseases of the lungs, bronchitis both acute and chronic, chronic pneumonia and phthisis, acute pneumonia and bronchopneumonia, may all leave after them a bronchiectasis whose position is determined by the primary lesion, other causes, acting mechanically partracheal and bronchial obstruction, as from the pressure of an aneurysm, new growth, and C. It used to be considered a disease of middle age, but of late years Dr. Walter Carr has shown that the condition is a fairly common one among debilitated children after measles, whooping cough, and C. The dilatation is commonly cylindrical, more rarely saccular, and it is the medium and smaller size tubes that are generally affected, except where the cause is mechanical. The affection is usually of one lung only. Emphysema is a very common accompaniment, though at first the symptoms somewhat resemble those of bronchitis. Later they are quite distinctive. Cough is very markedly paroxysmal in character, and though severe is intermittent, the patient being entirely free for many hours at the time. The effect of posture is very marked. If the patient lie on the affected side, he may be free from cough the whole night, but if he turn to the sound side, or if he rises and bends forward, he brings up large quantities of bronchial secretion. The expectoration is characterized by its abundance and manner of expulsion, where the dilatation is of the saccular variety. It may come up in such quantities and with so much suddenness as to gush from the mouth. It is very commonly feted, as it is retained and decomposed in situ. Dyspnea and hemoptyses occasionally occur, but are by no means the rule. If pyrexia is present, it is a serious symptom as it is a sign of septic absorption in the bronchi, and may be the forerunner of gangrene. If gangrene does set in it will be accompanied by severe attacks of shivering and sweating, where the disease has lasted long. Clubbing of fingers and toes is very common. The diagnosis from putrid bronchitis is usually fairly easily made, but at times it may be a matter of extreme difficulty to distinguish between this condition and a tuberculous cavity in the lung. Nothing can be done directly to cure this disease but the patient's condition can be greatly alleviated. Creosote vapor baths are eminently satisfactory. A mechanical treatment much recommended by some of the German physicians is that of forced expiration. Bronchitis, the name given to inflammation of the mucous membrane of the bronchial tubes see respiratory system, pathology. Two main varieties are described, specific and nonspecific bronchitis. The bronchitis which occurs in infectious or specific disorders, as diphtheria, influenza, measles, pneumonia, and C. Due to the microorganisms observed in these diseases, is known as specific, whereas that which results from extension from above, or from chemical or mechanical irritation, is known as nonspecific. It is convenient to describe it, however, under the chemical divisions of acute and chronic bronchitis. Acute bronchitis, like other inflammatory affections of the chest, generally arises as the result of exposure to cold particularly if accompanied with damp, or of sudden change from a heated to a cool atmosphere. The symptoms vary according to the severity of the attack. 
and more especially according to the extent to which the inflammatory action spreads in the bronchial tubes, the disease usually manifests itself at first in the form of a catarrh, or common cold, but the accompanying feverishness and general constitutional disturbance proclaim the attack to be something more severe, and symptoms denoting the onset of bronchitis soon present themselves. A short, painful, dry cough, accompanied with rapid and wheezing respiration, a feeling of rawness and pain in the throat and behind the breastbone, and of oppression or tightness throughout the chest, mark the early stages of the disease. In some cases, from the first, symptoms of the form of asthma QV known as the bronchitic are suppressed and greatly aggravate the patient's suffering. V.04P.0635 After a few days expectoration begins to come with the cough at first scanty and viscid or frothy, but soon becoming copious and of purulent character. In general, after free expectoration has been established the more urgent and painful symptoms abate, and while the cough may persist for a length of time, often extending to three or four weeks, in the majority of instances convalescence advances, and the patient is ultimately restored to health. Although there is not infrequently left a tendency to a recurrence of the disease on exposure to its exciting causes, when the ear or the stethoscope is applied to the chest of a person suffering from such an attack as that now described, there are heard in the earlier stages snoring or cooing sounds, mixed up with others of wheezing or fine whistling quality, accompanying respiration. These are denominated dry sounds, and they are occasionally so abundant and distinct, as to convey their vibrations to the hand applied to the chest, as well as to be audible to a bystander at some distance. As the disease progresses these sounds become to a large extent replaced by others of crackling or bubbling character, which are termed voiced sounds or rolls. Both these kinds of abnormal sounds are readily explained by a reference to the pathological condition of the parts. One of the first effects of inflammation upon the bronchial mucous membrane is to cause some degree of swelling, which, together with the presence of a tough secretion closely adhering to it, tends to diminish the caliber of the tubes. The respired air as it passes over the surface gives rise to the dry or sonorous breath sounds, the coarser being generated in the large, and the finer or wheezing sounds in the small divisions of the bronchi. Before long, however, the discharge from the bronchial mucous membrane becomes more abundant and less glutinous, and accumulates in the tube still dislodged by coughing. The respired air, as it passes through this fluid, causes the moist rolls above described. In most instances both moist and dry sounds are heard abundantly in the same case, since different portions of the bronchial tubes are affected at different times in the course of the disease. Such are briefly the main characteristics presented by an ordinary attack of acute bronchitis running a favorable course. The case island however, very different when the inflammation spreads into, or when it primarily affects, the minute ramifications of the bronchial tubes which are in immediate relation to the air cells of the lungs giving rise to that form of the disease known as capillary bronchitis or bronchopneumonia respiratory system, pathology, and pneumonia. When this takes place all the symptoms already detailed become greatly intensified, and the patient's life is placed in imminent peril in consequence of the interruption to the entrance of air into the lungs, and thus to the duration of the blood. The feverishness and restlessness increase. The cough becomes incessant. The respiration extremely rapid and labored the nostrils dilating with each effort, and evidence of impending suffocation appears, the surface of the body is pale or dusky, the lips are livid, while breathing becomes increasingly difficult, and is attended with suffocative paroxysms which render the recumbent posture impossible, 
unless speedy relief is obtained by successful efforts to clear the chest by coughing and expectoration, the patient's strength gives way, somnolence and delirium set in and death ensues, all this may be brought about in the space of a few days, and such cases, particularly among the very young, sometimes prove fatal within 48 hours, acute bronchitis must at all times be looked upon as a severe and even serious ailment, but there are certain circumstances under which its occurrence is a matter of special anxiety to the physician, it is preeminently dangerous at the extremes of life, and mortality statistics show it to be one of the most fatal of the diseases of those periods, this is to be explained not only by the well-recognized fact that all acute diseases tell with great severity on the feeble frames alike of infants and aged people, but more particularly by the tendency which bronchitis undoubtedly has in attacking them to assume the capillary form, and when it does so to prove quickly fatal. The importance, therefore, of early attention to the slightest evidence of bronchitis among the very young or the aged can scarcely be overrated. Bronchitis is also apt to be very severe when it occurs in persons who are addicted to intemperance. Again, in those who suffer from any disease affecting directly or indirectly the respiratory functions, such as consumption or heart disease, the superventilon of an attack of acute bronchitis is an alarming complication, increasing, as it necessarily does, the embarrassment of breathing. The same remark is applicable to those numerous instances of its occurrence in children who are or have been suffering from such diseases as have always associated with them a certain degree of bronchial irritation, such as measles and whooping cough. One other source of danger of a special character in bronchitis remains to be mentioned, viz. collapse of the lung. Occasionally a branch of a bronchial tube becomes plugged up with secretion, so that the area of the lung to which this branch conduct ceases to be inflated on inspiration. The small quantity of air imprisoned in the portion of lung gradually escapes, but no fresh air enters, and the part collapses and becomes of solid consistence. Increased difficulty of breathing is the result, and where a large portion of lung is affected by the plugging up of a large bronchus, a fatal result may rapidly follow, the danger being specially great in the case of children. Fortunately, the obstruction may sometimes be removed by vigorous coughing, and relief is then obtained. With respect to the treatment of acute bronchitis, in those mild cases which are more of the nature of a simple catarrh, little else will be found necessary than confinement in a warm room, or in bed, for a few days, and the use of light diet, together with warm diluent drinks. Additional measures are however called for when the disease is more markedly developed. Medicines to allay fever and promote perspiration are highly serviceable in the earlier stages. Later, with the view of soothing the pain of the cough and favoring expectoration, mixtures of tolu, with the addition of some opiate, such as the ordinary paragorics, may be advantageously employed, the use of opium, however, in any form should not be resorted to in the case of young children without medical advice, since its action on them is much more potent and less under control than it is in adults, not a few of the so-called soothing mixtures have been found to contain opium in quantity sufficient to prove dangerous when administered to children and caution is necessary in using them. From the outset of the attack the employment of fomentations, or especially a turpentine scoop, gives great relief, and occasionally in the non-specific form this treatment, combined with a good dose of calomel and salts, may render the attack abortive. Some relief is always obtained by inhalations, and theoretically, an acute specific bronchitis should be successfully treated by inhalation of antiseptic and soothing remedies. In practice, however, 
it is found that the strength cannot be sufficiently strong to destroy the bacteria in the bronchial tubes. However, much relief is obtained from the use of steam atomizers filled with an aqueous solution of compound tincture of benzoin, creosote or guaiacol. A still more practicable means of introducing volatile antiseptic oils is the globe nebulizer, which throws oleaginous solutions in the form of a fine fog, that can be deeply inhaled. Menthol, eucalyptol and white pine extract are some of the remedies that may be tried dissolved in benzoinol, to which cocaine or opium may be added if the cough is troublesome. When the bronchitis is of the capillary form, the great object is to maintain the patient's strength and to endeavor to secure the expulsion of the morbid secretion from the fine bronchi. In addition to the remedies already alluded to, stimulants are called for from the first, and should the cough be ineffectual in relieving the bronchial tubes, the administration of an emetic dose of sulfate of zinc may produce a good effect. During the whole course of any attack of bronchitis attention must be paid to the due nourishment of the patient, and during the subsequent convalescence, which, particularly in elderly persons, is apt to be slow. Tonics and Steinwall.